Man, I love that song. I really do. And I love what uh, Sam and Sid made the video so it would really bring it out even more. And uh, it, it, it brings home what we're trying to say is that you could have moments like that in your life. And, and God says to you, I'm greater than those moments. If we let God put his hands on him, if we say to him, okay, I want your will, not my will. Then what happens is it, it literally transforms us, but it transforms the situation. The outward circumstances may not change. But what happens when God moves in, it becomes incredible. And that's what I don't want you to miss. You see, it begins, Jesus said, by you and I saying that we're poor in spirit. Now, that means we reach out to God. It means we say, God, we need you. And when you say, God, I need you, then he draws close to you. You draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. But when the presence of God comes in your life, then it makes us aware of of the need to, 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 to be different. Our failings, our sins, all of a sudden our heart breaks over the fact of how we might have hurt someone else. Or the times in life we didn't use it correctly. And so blessed are you who mourn. And God's comfort comes in in that moment. And then Jesus said, but now here's where it goes next. Blessed are the meek. Now we're going to try to talk about that today so you understand it. But I want you to know people don't get it. But usually even Christians don't always get this. It's very deep. It's very incredible. And we don't want to miss out on it. See, in the time that Jesus lived, people missed out. And it comes to the fact of, of, of people acting like God ought to do their bidding. That God ought to do our will. He ought to act the way we want him to. And Jesus refused to do that. Then he refuses to do it now. You see, there was a group called the Pharisees. And this very religious group of people, they, they wanted a miraculous Messiah. And you might say, well, Jesus did miracles. Yeah, he did. But you ready? He didn't do the miracles they wanted. They saw what he did for others, but they didn't, they didn't get what they wanted. So they, they wrote him off and and attacked him. And and so here's, they wanted this miraculous Messiah, but he didn't meet their expectation. Uh, There was another group called the Sadducees and, and the Sadducees wanted a materialistic Messiah. They, they wanted him to come and give them lots of things and, and pour all this abundance of prosperity into their lives. And Jesus refused to do it. Matter of fact, he actually said, blessed are the poor, not just poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor, period. And it's harder for a rich man to go to heaven than, than, than it would be for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And he attacked that view. And so they turned on him too. And, and not only rejected him, but turned against him. There was another group you probably heard about called the Zealots. The zealots were very militaristic. They, they, were, they were radicals and, and wanted to fight against the world. And they wanted to do it in a very outward, sometimes very bitter way. And they wanted the Messiah to be a militaristic Messiah who would come and take down Rome and take down everything again that, that wasn't what they believed in. And Jesus wouldn't do it. He came and said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So you get hit on the right cheek, turn the other. And, and they couldn't handle that. So they turned against him. There was another group that that also turned against Jesus called the Essenes. Very, very religious people. But they wanted a monastic Messiah. They wanted him to go away in the desert. And they they wanted to be as far away from the world as they could. And they said, we just got to reject everything worldly and stay away. And just be in ourselves. And we just want to take care of ourselves. And, And Jesus, he wouldn't do that. He actually said to his disciples, go into the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He taught us to be in the world, but not of the world. But we don't run from the world. And so here's these four main thought processes that people thought, well, if we can get away from the world, we'll be happy. Or if we could take on the world and make everybody act the way we want them to, we'll be happy. 
Or, hey, if I have a lot of money, I'll be happy. Or if I have a lot of power, I'll be happy. And Jesus said, no, none of that is really going to give you happiness. He said, you missed it. It starts with needing God. It starts with being honest about who we are. And then it goes into a point where we say, God, not only I need you, and not only I know who I am, but I, I understand the need to be meek. Now, now, Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Some of your translations have gentle. It's a Greek word, praeus. The word praeus is a very rich word, and no one English word can truly get across the point. In, in Proverbs, very often this word's translated prudence in the Greek Septuagint. And, and blessed are the prudent, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, in some places, it's humility. Blessed are those who are humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, in some places, it's gentle or meek. Uh, uh, it, the idea behind the word is, is strength under control. Uh, and so, you know what? One of the best translations for this, matter of fact, this is my preferred one. Blessed are those who are trained. Blessed are you when you're under God's training and God's guidance and he's the master of your life for you'll inherit the earth. And I think maybe that brings it out the best because it's the idea of strength. You have all your strength and all your power. See, too often what happens when we look at that word is we don't understand that what it's saying because we, we have this weird idea of meek. You know the old, old movies of Jesus where he always walked around never smiling, never frowning, just kind of staring at everybody you know, and kind of a stoic Messiah. Well, that's not who Jesus was. And as a matter of fact, he was a meek Messiah. He was meek, but he was strength under control. Uh, an example of that would be Aristotle. He wrote a lot about the idea of prayers. He did believe it was a key to happiness. His translation of that word is just the idea of balance. And in one of the writings of Aristotle, he said, for instance, when it comes to anger, a, a prayous person, a meek person, a gentle person doesn't have excessive anger ever. They're never excessively angry, but they also don't lack the ability to get angry when it's required. But it's always under control. Now, is that a description of Jesus? The answer is yes. I mean, Jesus showed that kind of emotion. When he went into the temple and the temple was filled with money changers ripping people off, what they would do is, is you'd come and say, I want to give an offering to God. And they go, but your money has been polluted. So we'll buy your money from you and, and, you know, and, and you're going to have to take a loss on it. And then we're going to give you money you can use now for offering. And then well, what happened is an hour later, they're reselling that money again. The same with the animals for sacrifice, the doves, the sheep. The, and, and they were ripping people off. And by the way, isn't it sad? How often religion rips people off, takes advantage of people. Man, it's as old as time. But Jesus came in and he thought, there is no way. My father's house is to be a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. So what did he do? He made a whip the night before. He very intentionally planned out how he would enact his anger. And he made a whip. And then he went in there and he began to drive them out. Which, by the way, think about the power of Jesus. I mean, if you're literally making people run from their money, don't you think you got to have some power? I mean, he was outnumbered, outmatched. The disciples weren't anywhere around. I think they were like, oh, we're leaving. And, uh, you know, and he's driving them out. But what does it say? It says that he overturned the table of the money changers with the money spilling all over the ground. But the seat of those who sold doves. Why would he not turn over the table? Because he didn't want to hurt the doves. So he would just turn over there. See, he, he was under control. See, Jesus was a man of great emotion. He was strong. He was powerful. But he was under God's control. That's what it means to be meek. Now, we see the emotion of Jesus. You saw anger in the temple. You saw anger when, when a woman uh, was in need and no one would help her. Uh, we see the joy of Jesus at the party. We see Jesus cry. 
He cries over Jerusalem and he is grieved at the tomb of a friend. We see all the ranges of emotion. By the way, the the one thing the Bible doesn't directly say is that Jesus laughed, although we know he laughed and probably laughed hard. I don't know if you heard about the pastor who actually said, nope, Jesus never laughed. And he goes, as a matter of fact, I'm really bothered by churches that are full of frivolity and laughter. We live in a hard world, a sad world, and I want you to know it's wrong for you to laugh. And if Jesus never laughed, we shouldn't laugh. And he's going on and on preaching about it. And a little girl was sitting right here, and she's raising her hand, and, 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 and he's looking at her, and she's distracting him. And finally he goes, what? And she stood up on her seat and goes, I know Jesus laughed. He said, have you not been listening to my sermon? Nowhere in the Bible does it say he laughed. She goes, yes, it does. He goes, where? She goes, well, in the Bible, it says that the little children came to him. And if Jesus looked like you, no little child would come to him. <laughs> That's kind of true. Anyway, um, but the idea here is, is, is this word is about being trained. And, and, and here's what's interesting is that we actually somewhat use that term even today when we talk about a horse. When a horse is trained and, and, and it's mastered and, and it becomes even bonded to its master, we say that horse has been gentled. Now, that's, does that mean the horse isn't strong? No. But when you take a wild horse, what do you do? you got to break the horse. Now, what is that? Well, that's what happens to us. We've got to be a little bit broken. And we have to say, blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the poor in spirit. We need God. And we become aware of a need for a master and we become aware of his way of doing things. But when the horse is finally broken, what it does, though, is enter into training. And when the training's done correctly, the horse loves it. He loves his master. He loves the one he has as his owner. He wants to be with him. I mean, he would jump stalls to get there. He gets excited when you walk in. And, and it's not that it's not powerful. The reality, though, is he's trained. And by the way, everybody loves to be around a horse that's been trained well. God says that's how you should be. You should have that kind of training. And as a matter of fact, we, we, we need to enter God's training. We want to obey his commandments. Listen to 1 John 5, verse 3. It says this. It says, for this is the love of God. Now I want to stop and make sure you don't miss it. He on purpose is is really designating it. You could go, oh, I believe in God. But you know what? The devil believes in God. The question is, do you really love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Well, John tells us what it is. He goes, this is the love of God. If you really love God, this is what it is. Ready? This is the love of God that you obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. You don't go, oh, man, what a drag. I'm a Christian. That's why I have. No, you're like, man, you obey his commandments because you love him and loves the motivation. And it's the excitement of it. And a person who has that kind of love for God enters into this prayest, this gentle, this meek lifestyle, this trained lifestyle where God is training us. And by the way, if you are a Christian today, a real follower, you should be in training right now. God's training you and molding you and and bringing things out of you and guiding you. By the way, he may at times put you in a trial. Why? Because it tests you and make you stronger. Uh, He at times may put you in a place of rest because you need that rest. But that's what it is. And blessed are those, blessed are those who are trained by God, for they shall inherit the earth. Um, Some of you have got to see or meet my friend Randy Miller. Uh, Randy is one of the most accomplished animal trainers in all of Hollywood. 
And uh, one time when I was teaching and preaching on this very topic, we decided to illustrate it. And I want to be honest, I wanted to do it for you guys, but I can't because of the season we're in. And you'll understand that in a minute. But I was teaching on the whole idea of what it means to be trained and how it's still strength under control. And behind me were curtains. And and in the midst of it, the curtains opened up and there was a cage. And Randy was in the cage with the grizzly bear. And and then on cue, he gave the command and he and the grizzly bear start fighting. And by the way, the grizzly bear loves it. He loves to wrestle and he's all into it. And so they're wrestling and fighting. And then in the middle of it, he'd say stop and he'd turn and he'd talk about what it means to train an animal. And I'm going to tell you more about that in a minute. But I got to tell you what happened. The first service, it went great. The second service, it went even better. Third service, man, the bear's waiting to wrestle because he loves to wrestle. I mean, he just loves hugging and all that. And then what happened is Randy in the third service said stop and turn. And the bear didn't want to stop. So he bit him in the leg. Now, this isn't a puppy nip. This is a grizzly bear bite. You see the big old teeth coming, and he bit him. And Randy goes, oh, and he said a word that I won't repeat. And, uh, but I think a lot of us were going, oh. I mean, when you see a, you know, you know, in that moment, it's like, whoa. And then he turned and reprimanded the bear, and the bear lowered its head, and Randy stepped over, and they just cuddled. That really was, it was kind of touching. Uh, I'd never do it, but it was kind of touching. And, and, and here's the point. It's the affection of the master. What we had Randy share was this, by the way. He had talked with me about it. I said, you got to come share this. Randy was the uh, head uh, animal trainer and the head of stunts for the movie The Gladiator. Well, that meant that he went and sp- spent an extensive amount of time in Italy. Well, when he came back, he had a National Geographic special coming. And what they wanted was a bear attack. And so he took not the bear I'm talking about, but another bear, Coda. And, and, and he had Coda and him starting to work on what they needed to do for the attack. Well, he had been away for months. And Coda, which was a, one of the biggest bears ever, he stood up. And Randy said, all of a sudden, it was obvious this was no more training. He could see it in his eyes. He could see it in the way his mouth was shaped. It was different. This isn't, this isn't play. And Coda's coming down to attack him. It was the closest he's ever come to death. If the bear had got him, that would have been it. He just barely got out of his grasp. And here's what he said to me. And I think you'll grab why this is important. He said, Chuck, I realized more than ever that an animal, if it consistently spends time with its master, becomes affectionate and actually becomes caring. But when it's not with its master for any kind of period of time or it's inconsistent, that old instinct and fleshly nature comes out. Now, do you know where I'm going? When you and I consistently spend time with God, guess what? Christ's likeness comes out of us. The fruits of the spirit come out of us. But when we aren't consistently with him and following him and letting him mold us, then what comes out of us are anything but what what a follower of Christ should be. And we start seeing, you know, wrath come out and anger come out and selfishness come out and and despair come out and fear come out. And, And all those things aren't supposed to be there. And God wants to train us so they're not a part of who we are. This is the key. The key to the training is the affection of the master. Letting God do affectionately, intimately love you. Blessed are you when you let God do that. And then yours is, you're going to inherit the earth. By the way, this is the key to the amazing life. Max Locato said it this way. It's the key to the extraordinary life. And I love what Max said. He said this. Our God is the God who majors in putting the extra in front of the ordinary. Don't you like that? The extraordinary. By the way... I like it more than you do. But anyway, uh, here's, it really is incredible. Do you realize God called you to live not a natural life, but a supernatural life? 
Do you realize God called you to live not an ordinary life, but extraordinary life? None of you, none of us are called to just be normal anymore. God even takes small little things and turns them into something extraordinary when you let them. Guy was walking along one day with a stick in his hand. God appeared to him and encountered him and changed everything. And then God said, throw the stick on the ground. And he throws it on the ground and it turns into a poisonous snake. And then God says to him, because here's where he's going. God's training him. God's training him. You do what I tell you to do. Throw the stick down. It turns into a snake. Then God says, pick it up by the tail. Now, now Now think about that. Now I know some of you in here, man, snakes are no big deal. I gotta be honest, I don't like snakes. And you know what? I, some of our creative team had this great idea of me coming out with a boa constrictor. And I, no, it wasn't going to happen. They said, we'll film it. I said, no, you won't. <laughs> but by the way, I, I, I was in a situation like some of you had. And they said, well, just grab the snake. And where are you supposed to grab it? By the back of the head. And I'm always like, uh, uh, uh. but if they said grab a poisonous snake by the tail. If you're out and see a rattlesnake and you grab it by the tail, what's going to happen to you? Well, you know what? I mean, this is a moment of faith. This is a moment God's saying to a man named Moses, do you trust me? And I want you to do something you don't, would never, ever do. But I'm going to tell you, if you do it, something incredible is going to happen. And he goes against all his internal instincts and reaches out and grabs that. And it turns back into a staff. And he takes that staff now because it's been touched by God. And God uses that staff and Moses to bring Egypt to its knees. Now, now, I, I want you to grab that. When you let God take something ordinary, he turns into something extraordinary. And if you let him do it, it becomes amazing. But you got to do it his way. You got to say, I'm all in. We call that level four. I'm all in. I'm completely yours. And, and I'm not holding back. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Then God very often goes, okay, then are you going to do this? And you're going to say, well, if I love you, I would, Lord. And it's not a burden to do. If I love you, I'll keep your commandments. And you know what? There was a, a young boy who's walking along and God told him to pick up five five very smooth stones. And you already know the story. He stood in front of the greatest warrior of his day and took him down, Goliath. You today might have a huge problem in front of you, a horrible trial, a horrible situation. And God says, let me touch it. Let me do something with it. Jesus stood in front of a man who was blind and he picks up dirt, dirt, something ordinary like dirt. And he spits in it. And he makes it into mud and he rubs it on the man's face. And then he steps back and heals him completely. You realize what God is saying to you and me? He says sticks and stones and dirt, things that nobody else would care about. If I touch them, they become one of the most amazing things ever. You know what else he's saying? He's looking at you and he's looking at me. And he said, if I touch your life and you'd start saying, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. And you start being trained by me. Get ready for what's going to happen. If you take to heart at Jeremiah 33, 3, Lord, I'll call to you. And you're going to answer me. And you're going to tell me great and mighty things I do not know. You could have that life. That what it takes, though, is you've got to be willing to be all in and blessed are those who say god train me blessed are those who say god guide me blessed are those who experience that that's what he wants you to do some of you right now man there's some hurt in your life there's some pain some of you are facing things you just understand some you're looking at say that was horrible and you know and some of you you did it and you know what god looks at you and says if you love me And you'll live your life according to my purpose. I am going to cause that to work all together for good. No matter how bad you thought it was. No matter how bad it is. God says, I'm not happy about what happened to you. But I am the God who causes all things to work together for good for those who love me. And live their life according to my purpose. You can't live it to your purpose. You got to live it to his. And when you do, God takes and changes it. And then what happens is incredible. 
As we begin to live that way, we start manifesting what we call Christ-likeness. A meek person starts to be like Jesus, who was incredibly meek. And Jesus says these words to us in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Is life tough? Are you burdened? Jesus said, come to me then, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am praeus, or gentle, or meek, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burdens light. Now, now think about what a yoke is. A yoke was put on an animal, so the animal would be guided by their master. Jesus said, you know what? If life's tough, if you've been overburdened, if you're stressed, if you're fearful, if you're just wondering, okay, what, what's the purpose in life? He says, come to me, and I am going to give you a rest to the depth of your soul. Deep down inside, like, ah, oh, peace. He says, but the only way that'll happen is if my yoke's on you. You've got to let me guide you. You've got you to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And, and, and then you start to have a, a Christ-like attitude and amazing things will occur. If you do this, the fruit of the Spirit will start flowing out of you. Not only will God begin to guide you, the Holy Spirit will indwell within you. And, and you'll have power like you can't imagine. And you'll start having the fruit of the Spirit, which according to Galatians 5, 22 and 23, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And are you ready for this? And that prayus, gentle, meek attitude. And self-control. And he says, you're going to find that everything you do seems to be right with God. If you just let him guide you. Paul wants this so bad in us. He begs for us to take it. He begs you and he begs me, take this. In Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, it says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, which you have been called, with all humility and meekness and gentleness and prayous attitude. He says, that's how you're going to please God. I'm begging you to walk that way. I'm begging you to live that way. And with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. He said, come live that way. Come have that in your life. He said, I'm begging you to have it. Why? Because it's the greatest, most amazing, most extraordinary life you could ever live. But it's the life that God wants for you. It's intimate. It's close. It's amazing. And you've got to be willing to do it. Paul wants it so badly, he warns us not to let anything get in the way with it. Especially materialism. So in 1 Timothy 6, 8 to 11, he says this. If we have food and covering, with these we should be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, now catch what he's saying. Materialistic attitudes. He said, run from that. Now, what is he saying? Please don't miss what he's saying. He's saying, if you think if only I had more money, I'll be happy. You're wrong. Now, it's not wrong that you have, you know, you, you can have things as long as you handle it correctly and they don't have you. But he says, if you even think, well, if I had more money, I'd be happy. If I had a bigger home, I'd be happy. If I had, he says, that's just going to cause grief in the midst of your soul. That's going to pierce you through. So what does he say to do instead of that? Verse 11, but flee these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness or meekness or this pursue being trained by God. Now, I'm going to be real honest with you here. One of the reasons that God has asked for us to tithe, which means to give the first 10% to him, it's a training exercise. If I get $100 in, God says, give me 10. And then I go, God says, trust me with it. You give it to me. You don't make it yours. Well, every single time I get that in and I do that, it trains me to trust in him. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. 
But you know what? A lot of people go, oh, no, I don't know. Oh, uh, I'm going to make an excuse. I'm going to justify it. Oh, it's the church's fault I don't give. If they handled the money better, then I'd give it. But it's their fault. Yeah, that's whose fault it is, right? You know, and God says, are you going to trust me? Because I want to I do away with that materialistic attitude. I want you to trust me. And it's a part of that meekness. When we do this, when we live that way, then I want you to know it becomes apparent. It, it, it shines out of us. And by the way, when it shines out of us, it, it makes us people that, that God wants to be around and others want to be around. That's why Paul said, I want you to put this on. In Colossians 3, 12 and 13, it says, So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. He said, I want you to put that on. I want you to put that on. And, and he says, and notice what verse 13, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, you also should do to them. Now, now notice what he said. Put it on. Make it so everybody can see it. That you're loving. That you're kind. That you're trained by God. That you have that gentle, balanced attitude. And he says, I want you to have that. And, and by the way, it's interesting. Peter says, especially to wives, I want you to have it. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. It says, your adornment must not merely be external, the braiding of the hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and putting on of dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Two things to catch out of that. One, he says it's imperishable. It's not dictated by circumstance or people or other, what other people do or environment. It, it, it's imperishable. He said, I want you to have something that can't be taken from you, a gentle and quiet spirit. And then he said, it's precious in the sight of God. It's precious. I have shared it before, but my dog Galahad, he's a, a, a yellow Labrador, beautiful, actually all white, um, big, big dog. M my neighborhood loves him. And, and you know why? He's one of the best trained dogs I've ever seen. And that goes to a, a lady named Kelly, who's an animal trainer. And she sh showed us what to do and took Galahad through all the things, man. And he got it. And so what happens is Galahad, man, our, our neighbors love him. If another dog's barking like crazy, you know what they'll say? It's not Galahad because Galahad didn't do that. You know that? And, and, and I know it's my, I get kind of a little ADD. The other day, again, I left the gate open. And when Galahad comes walking out, do you know what our neighbors do? They come out on the front porch and call for him. They're like, they want to see him. They want to play with him. A couple days ago, a six-year-old girl ran over and goes, can I go in the backyard and play with Galahad? I mean, when I go walking down the street, it's like, hey, there's Galahad. Chuck, too. Or, you know, and, uh, <laughs> no, they love him. They love him. Now, by the way, one of my other neighbors, he loved Galahad so much, he went and got a big Labrador. He's not Galahad. And when he gets out, we're all like, oh, we shut the door and we don't want to see him. And when he's, you know, I'm not in it. it really, you know the difference what I'm saying? When you have that kind of an attitude, people want to be around you. And by the way, God wants to be around you. And by the way, you want to be around you. And, and when we have that attitude, it changes everything. And so God says, it's incredible. And he said, I need this to be in everybody, but especially Christian leaders. If you're going to be a leader, Here's what God says to us in 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. It says, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive to do his will. How do we approach that with gentleness? That's what God wants us to do. But this is huge. You see, when I'm poor in spirit, I say, God, I need you. When I mourn, I say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. When I say yes to gentleness is when salvation comes. Now, I want you to catch that. It's, it's, it's a key to experiencing the presence of God and true salvation. 
true intimacy with him. James 1.21 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, which is meekness or prayest, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. When I, I open up to God and I say, you know, I want this. And you might say, where are you going? Now think about it. The Bible says that we're saved by faith. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by earning it. We're saved by faith, which is a, a loving trust of God. But it says faith comes by hearing and, and hearing by the word of God. And James says it's because of gentleness or meekness that I'm able to receive that word of faith that comes into my life. In other words, this is the point. Jesus said, if you would admit your need for God and you would be sorry over the times you've hurt other people and you've done what you shouldn't do. And now if you would open up to me. And, and embrace it. He says, now I'm going to come in and I'm going to bring salvation to you. And that's what happens. And James says, you're going to begin to receive that. And it's going to become a key to living with God in a very intimate way. By the way, please don't miss this. What God is teaching through this is he wants to be your savior, but he needs to be your Lord. And you need him to be the one who directs you and guides you. And when you do, you know what? He says, this is the love of God. That you obey his commandments and his commandments are not a burden. And, and you begin to live that out. And then God takes your life and he puts his hands on it and it becomes extraordinary. And you know what he even says? He says, when you do this, you're going to inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. What does that mean? You're going to feel like you have it all. You're going to walk around and say, man, I don't need anything else. I feel like I've got it all. Um, a friend of mine, I think, really, really lives out what I'm telling you. His name's Mike Fields. And uh, Mike, uh, as he was growing up, his parents are Christians. They raised him in the church. He always felt like, man, I, I want to be a cop, but I want to be a pastor. And I want to be a cop, but I, and he, he could never decide. One minute a pastor, one minute a policeman. And, and, and it was always drawing on him. And, and, and as he got in high school, he prayed, God, which one? He couldn't seem to get an answer. Both were driving passions. Then when he got into college, he thought, you know, pastor. And, and he, he ended up becoming a pastor. And I want to tell you, he was incredible. That's when he and I met. Man, amazing God, man of God, amazing pastor. But it was like night after night, he would long to be a policeman, long to be a cop. And, and so finally he said to his wife, Karen, I think we got to do this. It's going to be a risk. It's going to be a hardship for our family, but I think we should try. And she said, honey, I'm behind you. So he ended up resigning his position. He went into the police academy and the city of Fullerton hired them in their police department. Mike went on staff there, man, and he's just rising like crazy. Everybody loved Mike. He's sharp. He's smart. But he had this calmness about him that just made him something that all the other officers cherished. And I remember about two years in, I went over to the Fullerton Police Department to have a ride along with Mike. And I walked in and they said, who are you here to see? I said, Mike Fields. And the sergeant on duty said, man, everybody loves Mike. And then I said, really? And then he said this. I'll never forget it. He said, do you know every officer here would want Mark, Mike as their partner? And I said, really, why? And he said, because you know what, man, that guy is calm. That guy always keeps his senses. That guy never gets rattled. I mean, he, he's the kind of guy in any situation you could trust him to do the right thing. He's not going to go up and down. He maintains it. He goes, as a matter of fact, a few days ago, we were in the midst of a shootout. And a lot of people were running and screaming and yelling. And Mike stayed calm. He ended up working his way behind the suspect. He got up right on this guy. He was shooting at everybody and put the gun to his head and said, I don't think you want to do that. <laughs> All calm. I said, dude, that's just like Dirty Harry. You know, and, uh, but you know what? They said, that's how Mike is. And everybody loves that about him. And, you know, he just kept rising up in the force because of it. Well, then the city of Fullerton decided to do something that was going to be a little controversial. Because of some things that happened, they felt that they needed a chaplain. And they got together to talk about, I mean, that, that has things, you can imagine, a controversy, a Christian chaplain paid for the force. 
And so what happened is that they were talking, and the chief said, well, what should we do? And one of the captains said, you know, I don't think we need a chaplain because we've got Mike Fields. And so they made a decision, and they called Mike in, and they actually gave him a pay raise, and he was now designated not just as a policeman, but a chaplain. And they put a cross on his lapel and announced that to everybody. He got to be the pastor and the policeman. He got to do it all. And... And I, I got to tell you, that's how it happens for us. Uh, all of us. That's what happens to us when we do that. Why? Because in Psalm 25, 9, it says that God will lead those who are prayers. He's going to lead you in your life. In Psalm 147, 6, it says that God will lift you up if you have that kind of attitude. In Isaiah 29, 19, it says God will pour joy into your life if you have that kind of attitude. So the leading of God, the lifting of God, the joy of God, it's for every one of us. It's for you. Blessed are you, God, Jesus said, if you will be trained by me. Blessed are you if you will trust your life to me. Blessed are you. And it really does work. You see, the world today is telling you that you're going to be happy if you have power. But there's lots of powerful people that aren't happy. By the way, I want to ask one. John Edwards, powerful man. Is John Edwards happy today? No. And I don't say that meanly. But how about this? You're going to be, you're going to be happy if you have money. Have you ever been watching how all the people who are rich right now, do you see a lot of happy people on the, on, the celebr- on the TV? How about this? You'll be happy if you're famous. You know, power, money, and fame. That's happiness. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Joseph Stalin actually was one of the most powerful men who ever lived. I, I wouldn't know whether, I, I'm not someone who liked what he did, but man, this guy had armies march at his command. He rose up and took over Russia. He could order anybody's execution at any moment. I mean, this was one powerful man, but you know what? Stalin lived the last years of his life in incredible fear. He had a, a, a mansion with seven bedrooms and he would sleep in a different one every night because he was afraid someone would kill him. He got to where he could barely eat for fear he'd be poisoned. Power didn't give him happiness. You know what? Howard Hughes was one of the richest men who's ever lived. He died lonely. He died in isolation. He died with not trusting anybody. He didn't know that anybody cared about him or loved him. He felt everybody was out to get something from him. And when he died, it was a horrible death. His body was ravaged. I mean, he was literally malnourished. And he could have afforded anything. His fingernails had grown curled and long. And, and his, his body was detestably, uh, 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 was stench all over it. And and. All the money in the world didn't give him happiness. You can't get more famous than John Lennon, right? But you know what? John Lennon, the last two years of his life, was so afraid that he had to sleep with the light on. Now, my personal opinion is because he opened up the doors to the demonic through Eastern mysticism. But he, would, he couldn't shut off the lights because of fear what would happen if he did. He got to the place where he believed there were germs on anything he touched that were about to kill him. Touching anyone, touching anything drinking anything, trying to lay down and sleep. He was a mess. And it's tragic how he died, but it's tragic how the last two years were too. The fame, the money, the acclaim. It didn't bring happiness. And we need to understand something. This does. For thousands of years, what Jesus said has worked. Because he loves you and he knows. You and I were created to live in an intimate relationship with him. And if we would open up to that and say yes to it, well, you know what? He says, then, then I'll guide you. If you would trust in me, I'll guide you. And then, but we got to do it all the way. It can't be part way. 
So today I hope that you're saying, God, that's what I want. I want to be who you want me to be. And I want to live the life you have for me to live. And by the way, let me tell you, the life he has for you is amazing, extraordinary. He wants it for you. Now, I'm not saying easy. I'm not saying easy. It's the incredible life he has. And I promise you today, there's not a person here who God doesn't want to experience this. Not one of you. He couldn't love you more than he does. He couldn't care about you more than he does. The question is, are you experiencing the God who said, call to me, and I will tell you great and mighty things you don't know. Are you experiencing the God who said, come to me if you're hurting, if you're overbearing, if you're fearful, and I'll take all that off. If you're guilty, I'll I'll erase the guilt. Come to me, and I'm going to put my yoke on you. I'm going to guide you into a life that's literally incredible. Are you ready to let God put his hands on you and all of a sudden see the problems be taken and conquered? Are you ready for that? Now, I I hope today this room's filled with people who are living it. But if today you need to say yes to this, I want to tell you, how do you become meek? How do you enter that relationship? Here's the answer. It starts by talking to God, by praying. And you need to actually say to him, Lord, I want to give myself to you completely. I want to be yours. I want the forgiveness. I want the healing. I want the freedom from fear. But I want you. And I want to live my life the way you want. And here I am. This is the love of God. I'll do it. I'll do it. In a moment, I'm going to lead a prayer like that. And if you're at this moment not in a committed, intimate, very intimate, real relationship with God as your father, where you really know he's your dad and he loves you, I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer and open your heart to him. And get ready for what he's about to do. So it starts by praying. It starts by calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. There's a second step though. Are you ready? The second step I'm going to ask you to do is that if you pray that prayer and mean it, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to stand up, make your way to an aisle or to the stairs. People would love to let you out. And I'm going to ask you to come walking down here and then head right to this room we call our living room. Now, right now, you might be saying, well, why would I want to do that? Here's the thing. If you really are saying, God, I want your ways. God, I'm going to do it your way. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before our fathers in heaven. And when you step out like that, what you're saying, I just inwardly did this outwardly. I'm going to make it known. I'm making it known to God. I'm making it known to everybody else here. I'm making it known to myself. And as I walk, I'm saying, God, I'm yours. Because it's not about what I want anymore. It's about what you want. Does it take courage to do this? Yes. And by the way, if you prayed this prayer before and you never came, I'm going to invite you to come. Uh, Last service, a college, uh, just out of college guy, prayed the prayer about two and a half months ago. And he always fought coming and fought coming. He said, I don't know why I need to do it. And today he decided, if God wants me to do it, I'll do it. I want to tell you what happened. He was right over here. He took a step. And man, the spirit of God hit him. And he went, oh. And he came crying. And he goes, now I see. You see, let's just trust God in doing it his way. And and so today I'm going to ask if you really want him or you want to come back to him to pray this prayer with me. And I'm going to ask you also if you want to recommit to do it. But I'm going to also ask you to come. And I know it takes courage, but I'm going to ask you to come. You can grab a friend's hand, say, come with me, but I'm going to ask you to come. One other thing, if you've never been baptized according to biblical baptism, that's by immersion. The word baptized means to immerse. If you've never made a conscious decision and baptism has to be you consciously asking for it, and consciously experiencing a worship experience with Jesus very intimately this way. If you've never done that, I'm also going to ask you to come today and set a time to do it. So what I'm going to ask you to do in a moment is to pray. And if you want to pray with me to commit or recommit your life, please do it. And then I'm going to ask you to come. And, and if you, you just say, you know, I need to do this because I'm, I'm in. I want to be meek. I want to, I want to be his. I want to be trained. Let's pray. Father, I know 
that you love every single man and woman and guy and girl in this room. You cherish them. You crave to have the relationship with them. Even more than any of us possibly could, you crave it. And I, I thank you for that love. And I thank you for the life you call for us to live that, that's guided by you. Where you, Lord, lead us and guide us and mold us and help us to change. And may we always want that. And oh, Lord God, right now I pray, I pray your Holy Spirit would come in this room. And I pray you would stir and touch anybody today who needs to say yes to you. I pray right now they would know this is their moment. I pray right now for the, the man who's sitting here and there's a lot of anger in his heart. He's just mad. He, he's been, even the last couple of days, thinking of things that he just wishes he could go do to hurt somebody. And, and God, now it's time to let it go and, and to let your love come in and cleanse. And he's going to have to own up to what he did. Not justify anymore. And, and God, as the tears come and the spirit moves and the softness comes, he's about to be set free. I pray right now for the person who's sitting here that, Lord, they're not sure how they're going to make it the rest of this week. They've been bothered by it. They came today wondering. And I don't know their answer, but you do. And I pray you'd stir and touch them. I pray today for the person who's just, God, they need you. They need you so much. And, and now they're sensing your presence and your love and your touch. And they know, they know there's something more. And I pray right now they'll want this. And God, I, I pray you're just going to start drawing people to you. They can sense this is their moment. They're going to want to pray this prayer. I want to ask if you're right with God, would you pray for those who need to make this decision? But I'm going to lead that prayer right now. And if you want to say yes to God, or if you want to come back to him, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to pray this prayer with me, just to whisper it. So in just a moment, I'm going to lead it, but I want to ask this question. Do you want to? Do you want this? Do you want his love? He wants you. And if you do, say these words. Whisper them now. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to free me from my fear, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say yes I want this, and I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love, and fill me with your spirit, and help me be who you want me to be, and to live the life you want me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen.